anyone who is experiencing an injustice or senses that something is unfair and speaks up about it is an advocate. I think you have to have a vision of how you can change. Um, if you're just saying this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, uh, you're not providing solutions. So another part of advocacy is the policy element that you've said. What can change? What policy changes can enable this situation to improve? What policy change can enable female genital cutting to end? Change is possible even in issues that people thought would never change. Hold on to people that you meet on the journey that will support you because you're going to need them. So find those people that will support you and have a singular vision of change. This is the End of Gym podcast with Ebony Riddell Bumbo. Welcome to the NFGM podcast. My name is Jeremiah Kipainoi. I spend time with change makers who are making an impact in Kenya and beyond. Each week, we listen to incredible stories of ordinary people just like you making a difference. They share their successes, failures, and what they are learning along the way. Thank you for being with me today. Let's get started. I am seated here in Nairobi, the capital city of Kenya with Ebony Riddell Bamba. And we are seated here talking about advocacy and policy. Yes. A small background about yourself and why are you here in Nairobi? So um, I've always had the pleasure of working on advocacy, human rights advocacy for a number of organizations uh, and alongside many communities. It's my passion. Um, I believe in holding those who have power and resources to account to make sure they're allocated and shared equally and also that people's everyday concerns are met by those in positions of power. And you've done this for quite some time. When did you begin? Uh, yes, um, we just mentioned how old I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I probably started working on human rights issues back in 2002 uh, when I took up a role at Amnesty International and that was working on human rights in Russia. Uh, I studied Russian, slightly unusually, um, and it was my kind of entryway into working in, in this field of human rights. Um, and as it turned out, it set me off on a really rewarding career. So I'm glad I did it. You've been to Russia, you've been to Brazil. How has it been? So you can use similar principles wherever you're working. Um, so one is around having great partners, activists, community-based organizations that understand the situation on the ground um, and also having an understanding of power dynamics and how they work within a political system um, and how they interact at local level, regional level, uh, national level, but also globally. Obviously, we're here this week because of the International Conference on Population and Development which is within the UN system, a landmark moment when governments recognized that sexual reproductive health rights needed to be upheld for sustainable development. So that's a structure which relates to 
our work on the ground as uh, Orchid Project to end female genital cutting. Um, so last week I had the pleasure of visiting some of our work in Loiter Hills, which is a beautiful part of your country. Um, and the everyday work that our partners Safe Mart are doing there to encourage non-judgmental open dialogue on female genital cutting is directly related to what is in the International Programme of Action of ICPD, even though it seems like such a, a, an unrelated and um, separate issue. They're actually interconnected. So we need to make those connections through our advocacy so that we can hold decision makers, global leaders to account for fulfilling those promises. You've done this for quite some time, I'd say, as I, you'd already mentioned. And you've worked in places like um, Brazil. You've yes. also worked in um, the UK, of course. You've worked in Russia. I have. Why? <laughs> Why? Because I'm passionate about human rights uh, being upheld in contexts everywhere. Um, I also work very actively in my own community where I live with my family, um, particularly on issues of housing. So where I live in London, there's a real issue with lack of availability of homes at affordable rents. I'm not going to say actually not affordable rents, social rents. So rents that people on an average wage can afford. Um, so there's local local advocacy where I live, but then I also advocate globally on issues like female genital cutting. Um, when I worked in Russia, one of the areas I worked in was on racism and discrimination. And as someone, black woman who lived in Russia during my time studying there, I know what it's like to experience that on the streets. So I worked a lot with supporting students from Africa and Latin America who were studying in Moscow and St. Petersburg who were experiencing physical attacks, verbal attacks, and in some cases were brutally murdered. So that was something that I could identify with an individual, but you know, these are key issues that we need to advocate to change. And advocacy begins from different levels. We have people who are advocates from the grassroots level. There are people who do the advocacy work from a national level. But I'm always asking, how do you know you, you are really an advocate, where does one begin? Well, I think the term advocacy can be problematic, actually. I think we need to break it down and we can use different language. So anyone who is experiencing an injustice or senses that something is unfair and speaks up about it is an advocate. So you could be speaking up about it to your peers, your friends, your community, it could be a decision maker. And when it's someone in a position to change that situation is when it becomes advocacy. So I think advocacy sometimes maybe can be seen as a, more of a legal thing using the law, but it's not necessarily, it's about speaking out and challenging injustice and promoting equality. That's how I would define it. So for you, you'd say that advocacy has a, an end. Yeah. It's, it's a means to an end. So it's the method you use to change a situation that's unjust. I've met a couple of people who say, I speak out on various issues. Um, and I'm not always sure if, if, if that defines advocacy or you must be very specific on an issue. I think you have to have a vision of how you can change. Um, if you're just saying this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Uh, you're not providing solutions. So another part of advocacy is the policy element that you've said what can change what policy changes can enable this situation to improve what policy change can enable female genital cutting to end so yeah you need to be able to provide some 
evidence-based answers that are grounded in reality of your work with a community or with specific research you've collected or research that others have drawn together that, that you can rely on um, and advocate on the basis on. What drew you into what you're doing right now in terms of studying or even studying the work you're doing? Um, I think I loved history growing up um, and I think often history you learn about tragedy <laughs> uh, and times of um, human struggle but also human endeavour um, and I think that motivated me to try and be part, be a change maker, someone who tried to change situations that I felt were inherently unfair or unjust or unequal. Um, so this is me saying this in hindsight, I don't really know, but I ended up here and perhaps that's one of the reasons. Um, my dad also um, for 30 years worked for the Commission for Racial Equality in the UK. So he started out in the print room um, and ended up as one of the directors. So his was a story of being committed to this issue and working his way up an organization. And I'm so proud of him for that. And I think I share that sort of drive to change things um, and on issues that relate to me as an individual in particular. In a country, for example, like Brazil, we know there are uh, different issues uh, in terms of race, in terms of climate change now, as we speak about the Amazon. What were you doing then? So um, in Brazil, I worked with a number of community groups. So I worked with a kind of umbrella organization that supported various community groups in Salvador and around, which is in the northeast of Brazil. Um, so one was um, a collective, a women's sewing collective who were survivors of domestic violence. And they all came together and shared their experiences and decided that they wanted to create a way to earn money for themselves and their family. So they started a sewing collective. So I helped with fundraising, um, human rights education. Um, there was another group that was actually a, a young, a group of young activists who were trying to clean up a waterway in their local area. So they were environmental issues that um, some young people were working on at that time, um, even though this isn't the Amazon region. Um, Brazil is such an, a huge and diverse country, but um, Many of the challenges which you face here in Kenya are, are not dissimilar. Um, so, yeah, there were a range of different organisations um, and I was just volunteering, doing what was useful, a bit of human rights education, a bit of fundraising, writing out proposals. Um, and then I taught a bit of English voluntarily within um, a programme, an affirmative action programme for Afro-Brazilians. So there are really low numbers of Afro-Brazilians in university. And I think that's still the case because there's, it's very much a European descended Brazilian thing and there were barriers to black Brazilians accessing education. So they introduced a quota system. And as part of that, I provided free English lessons for some students that were part of that affirmative action system within the University of Bahia in northeast Brazil. So I did a bit of English teaching for free, a bit of volunteering, human rights education work. And then I did some also paid English teaching for middle class Brazilians to pay my rent. <laughs> so, yeah, there was I was juggling a few balls. Yeah. Well, we often have a challenge where people have to wait to be spoken for because they do not know what they could do to speak for themselves. 
and you say that you spoke you are helping with things like proposal writing for example and writing just helping organizations sort themselves out and it's a challenge that we surely face here on the ground um, knowing that someone really feels strongly about something but they do not know how to use the media for example and they do not know who to approach in the case of leaders and how they are going to reach to them what's the essence basically of empowering people from the ground in terms of advocacy so i think organizations like ours um, and and you as well is our job to open up those spaces democratize those spaces so that they're not full of people who hear each other talk to each other all the time and hear the same voices uh we need voices of people who understand the challenges at community level in those spaces so that we can work together to find solutions that are, are viable and realistic um it's also about making tools available um and accessible so one of the things we try and do at orchid is share but also it's not just capacity building it's it's capacity sharing because people in communities teach us a lot and then similarly we have things we can share in terms of so how to do a, a community based research project so that's one of the things that we've done here in Kenya but also with partners in Somali land how can you do how can you work with a group of researchers um with an online platform and do a quick survey on attitudes and behaviors on female genital cutting which would then enable you to develop a kind of baseline um upon which you can then apply for more funding to do more work but then you've got some data that demonstrates this is where we started out this is where we are a year later so those are kind of practical tools to enable people to measure the pro- pro- progress of their work but then also advocate because they've got evidence and research that they have done that they have owned to share and and present as a formula for change We often have to depend on researchers who come from outside. I'd say here for example the statistics that we have on the FGC topic I'd say are still in from the KDHS the Kenya uh, demographic health survey. Yes. Yeah. Uh all the way from 2014. Yes. And uh all the research that's being done around there is usually based on either a national scale or basically supported by funds coming from outside in terms of research um there are some demographics that are sometimes not attended to yes. and we've been having discussions on how do we gather data in a way that the community has current or almost instant uh, data on issues that are affecting them things like poverty things like fgc what is the best way to basically make sure that there is synergy individual activists need need networks they need connections um and through those networks and connections you can think about doing joined or standardized data collection so what what are the things that we need to find out about let's develop you know a a form of questioning that can work across diverse communities so that then we've got a broader base of data that we can then share and then you're much more powerful you you have a much stronger case for say the county or whatever level of fishes to listen to you because you can say we have collected similar data across this geographical area and it's telling us this so it's about joining up efforts and standardizing the approach as much as you can um but obviously i understand that fgc is contextual so you do have to make some adaptations but there can be similar types of questions that you're collecting 
um, which then just means you've got a much stronger base of evidence upon which to advocate for change or develop a program or whatever it is that your objective would be. Um, but yeah, we are trying, we've worked with some organizations, for example, in NAROC around networking organizations working on child protection issues, including FTC there. Um, we had a workshop last week, in fact, in NAROC on this, and they were saying how valuable it was to come together and talk about these kind of things. So, you know, we as ORCID and, and others, you know, will try and enable that as much as possible because net it's networks are so critical um and it can be very isolating being you know a, an, an activist on fgc or a small cbo um you need that support particularly as you said to advocate effectively and advocacy mostly revolves around of course networks and the media yeah. um and over time we've realized that people really do not have the networks so someone goes to the media and repeats the same and same and same message and it's something that i've always wanted to to just explore how how should someone prepare for such is this in terms of media campaigns or yeah um so we we haven't specialized specifically in media but i know there are great organizations that do so there may well be some good toolkits out there um i mean i think i would say that one thing well going back to the previous point i made actually is what what are the messages that you can agree on in your network, in your group, you know, what are the key things that you agree? This, this is what our advocacy message should be to President Kenyatta. He says he wants to end FGC by 20, 2022. This is what the critical thing is going to be. So can you agree what that is? And all of you are repeating that message, you know, in your community work, on the radio, on social media, through your reports, whatever it is, the outputs that you provide. You may have different special specialisms in an organisation. Obviously, you need to talk about your specific work, but what is the shared advocacy call or group of calls that you can agree on so that there's consistency and so that your message can resonate? What's something that you say you, you've learned over time in regards to being in that space? Probably a couple of things I would say. So one is you have to be persistent. You may try something that doesn't work. That doesn't mean you go off and try something else. There's probably another strategy out there that you haven't considered. So don't don't feel downhearted. Just we, by nature, often work on if issues that are difficult to you know shift, and F FGC is one of them. Um, but that doesn't mean that we aren't committed to you know stopping girls being cut, and we have to keep that singular focus. Um, I'd also say you need to compromise. And one of the things we're doing at the moment is trying to work as collaborative as we can with a broad cross-section of others who are wanting to end FGC by 2030 or 2022, as in, in Kenya's case. Um, and working in, you know, with organizations of diverse shapes, sizes, locations involves compromise, but that compromise is so worth it because we have an opportunity if we sh share our resources and commitment to making change, we can really, we can do this, but it involves give and take. So, you know, sometimes we, sometimes we have to listen and sometimes we talk, but we, we need to be prepared to sometimes concede ground to make up even more in our shared journey. Starting out, you know, is there something that someone needs? Does someone need an education? Just does someone need um, people? Yeah, so you definitely need support. Um, 
being an activist, you know, you know, I'm I'm an activist, but I also am privileged to be paid to be an advocate. So to, I'm privileged to be paid to do what I do. Lots of people aren't, and this is their life. So support is so important. Um, but I would also say that if you you need to always be thinking what's the answer to the what's in it for me question so you are talking who's your target why should they enact the change that you want to see so you need to put yourselves in their shoes how can I communicate with them what's the message that will make them think this is in my interest so always ask yourself what's in it for them to end FGC and you need to communicate your message through that lens Uh, I found that quite a useful way to think about how I talk about the issue in relation to different audiences what's in it for them and (laughs) that really got me because in terms of trying to bring in for example politicians to talk about FGC people have always been saying if a politician stands in front of people and starts talking about FGC in this community then he's going to lose votes and that's why many of them really do not want to speak about it and now that's why I understand (laughs) that's how I understand your point on What's in it for me? If the politicians now have this message so normalized that mm. if they speak, then they win votes, then of course they will speak about it. Yes. Wow. One thing that you'd like to leave, like a message that you'd like to leave for, to someone who's beginning, either as a CBO um, founder or probably as an activist or um, someone in government who has no idea about how to work or just to push things so that they can happen in their communities or even in their place of work. One thing that you leave to someone who just wants to start out. The change is possible even in issues that people thought would never change. You have to hold on to the fact that I'm I'm doing this because I know that change is possible. Um, And as I've said before, hold on to people that you meet on the journey that will support you because you're going to need them. So find those people that will support you and have a singular vision of change. In case someone wants to reach out to you, um, are you on social media? Are you, do you have an email or uh, a website where they could reach out to you? Yes. So um, our website is orchidproject.org and I'm on Twitter, EbonyRB. So you can reach out to me on Twitter and I'd love to hear from you. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Ebony RB. Thank you very much for joining me at the NFGM podcast. And one thing that you might not know as a listener is that Ebony comes from the UK, born and bred. She's Jamaican (laughs) by heritage, I'd say. And um, I was just telling her that here in Kenya, Jamaica is quite home for many of us. Well, everywhere I go, even when I've been to sort of places like really where I wouldn't expect anyone to know where Jamaica is, people say, oh, Jamaica, Bob Marley. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it makes me very proud that my heritage, wherever I go, is recognized. Um, so we're a small nation, but we make amazing music and we run very fast. <laughs> They run very fast. She speaks Russian. She speaks English. She speaks Portuguese. Her name is Ebony Riddell Bamba. Thank you very much for joining me at the NFGM podcast. And to the listener, I hope that you've learned because I've learned a lot in this session. So thank you very much for just giving me that time. And also to the listener, we really appreciate. Thanks for asking me. It's been my pleasure. Asante. That's what we say here in Kenya. Asante sana. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, till next Monday from the NFGM podcast team. It's Aquaheri. Stay safe. You can get bonus materials, notes, and much more at www.kipainoi.com. K I P A I N O I.com. Please remember, we all can do something. Go out and make a difference. For we all have a responsibility to make this world a better place. Goodbye.